So I made a boo-boo. I made the classic spend all kinds of time on the thing that you're excited about and forget that you have other, <laughs> other priorities in life. I'm Travis Albritton, and you're listening to Ministry Startup, the podcast about what it's like to start a ministry from scratch. This is episode four, and in season one, we're going behind the scenes of the creation of my new online teaching ministry, Unlock Your Gifts. Previously on Ministry Startup, I encountered some stern opposition from an unlikely group of people when it came to selling my online course, full-time ministers. So here's what's so bizarre about that. You had people being paid to help Christians grow, telling you, well, you shouldn't really charge people to help them grow. They're doing the same thing, but they don't, it's just that they don't connect that. After getting lots of advice and developing a conviction based on what the Bible says about charging people money in exchange for spiritual help, I reached a point where I felt good about what I was doing even if other Christians weren't quite sure what to make of it yet. But I wasn't out of the woods just yet. It was only a matter of time before I was once again caught up in something that had the potential to sabotage the foundation of what I was trying to build. It had been several months since that first meeting at Barnes & Noble, and I had just finished the final draft of my online course. The course would be broken down into a series of video modules, each highlighting a different step in the process that would help people clarify their ideal role in their church. I created handouts and examples to make it really straightforward and practical. I was feeling confident. Maybe this ministry can actually have the impact I think it can. But now it was time to put up or shut up. It was time to record some videos. Hey guys, so today is really awesome, really exciting. We're shooting video modules. Really excited, this comes out next month. Jonathan, June, and I met up at the church building and spent the next several hours converting the sanctuary into my own private movie set. We had lights to position, sound checks to do, video cameras to adjust. It was actually a lot of fun in a nerdy kind of way. Now, growing up, I had done a little acting on the side, so this wasn't my first rodeo. But there was definitely something different, something palpable about this particular production. It was all mine. I was the one running the show. I was the one in the director's chair. Every detail of the production, no matter how small, felt like the biggest thing in the world. Even the number of lights we were using. I'm going to show you my view. So this is behind me. Got my nice light here. And then I've got this giant light and this giant light. And there's June over there, right there. So basically it feels like I'm standing on the surface of the sun trying to record these, but it's worth it. It's for you guys. Standing on the surface of the sun. Well, at least I would look good on camera, as long as you couldn't see the armpit sweat that was starting to soak through my shirt. After we got everything set up, it was time to shoot. Eight months of hard work had culminated into this moment. Jonathan counted down for the first take. 
three, two, one, action. As he counted down, I could feel my pulse start to race and my heart started beating out of my chest. I felt the full weight of those eight months of work and the years to come resting on how well I could do in this moment. Not the kind of thoughts you want to be having while you're trying to smile at the camera. The first take was pretty terrible. The pitch of my voice was way too high, so I sounded shrill, like I had just sucked all the helium out of a balloon. I kept raising my hand to change slides, even though it was completely unnecessary, and I just looked unsettled. So not a great start. But then, after a few adjustments, and the realization that there was no test to fail, I was able to get on track. With each passing video, I felt more and more confident, until at the end, it felt like it was no big deal at all. I was just up on a stage, sharing my knowledge with an imaginary audience. Five hours and six teaching modules later, we had finished recording. We just finished. I'm totally drained. Done several hours of shooting in a row. I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm about to pass out. June's cranking it. June, how you feeling? Hey man, I'm good. He's good? He's ready, he's ready to do six more modules. All of that hard work had finally paid off. I now had something to show for the hours I'd spent reading, researching, and planning. No longer was this idea just a pipe dream, just something that existed in my head. Now it was real. But that moment of victory, with the mental picture of Rocky running up the steps in downtown Philadelphia, quickly evaporated. If launching my online ministry was a marathon, I had only just reached the halfway point. But now, with a newfound sense of determination, I doubled down on the time I was spending on getting my ministry off the ground. Three hours a day turned into six. Everything in my schedule that wasn't important or necessary got put on hold. No more Netflix for me. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I knew that what I was doing wasn't sustainable. There was no way I could keep up the rabid pace I had committed myself to for any lengthy period of time. But I did it anyways. I just kept telling myself, this is going to help so many people. Just push through. But in trying to get my ministry off the ground, I had stumbled back into some bad habits. A series of decisions that, if left unchecked, would derail not only my ministry, but my marriage as well. I sat down with my wife, Andrea, to talk about what went down. I want to go back to that Saturday where that whole week we'd kind of been missing each other. You were working some evenings. I was working on my course a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you were really excited that Saturday, at least Saturday, we'll be able to spend time together. So you wake up and you're like excited about hanging out. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to Jamie's house right. to work on my course. To fill you in on what we're talking about, I had decided earlier in that week that I was going to go over to Jamie's house to work on my course with several of the other people who were going through Course Rocket. I hadn't done a good job of communicating with Andrea to let her know that was my plan. So when I told her where I was going, as I was walking out the door, 
she was completely caught by surprise. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily okay with it when you first told me you were going to spend some of the day doing that because my expectation was that we were going to hang out during that day. Um, so, and then, and then I believe you asked me if you could stay a little longer. Um, and I said, okay, initially, but deep down I had some feelings about that. Um, and had started feeling like this, you working on this course was more important than spending time with me. Not important. That is one of the last things I ever wanted Andrea to feel. It's very easy for me to get tunnel vision, where everything else gets sacrificed on the altar of whatever is directly in front of me. And when that happens, I lose perspective. I'm not able to see or process how my decisions are affecting the people around me, the innocent bystanders of my passionate zeal. This was my immediate takeaway after that Saturday. So I made a boo-boo. I made the classic spend all kinds of time on the thing that you're excited about and forget that you have other, <laughs> other priorities in life. Now, in our conversation about it, Andrea was very composed. That's one of the things I really love about her. But this thing, this neglectful behavior, it was something I thought I had already dealt with. You see, this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. The first time was less than three years earlier, and it was the biggest test we had yet to face in our young marriage. We were living in Savannah, Georgia at the time. I was working at a local business using my engineering degree, and Andrea was working at a family fun center. We were both heavily involved in our church, serving in several ministries and leading to others. And because of how much time we devoted to getting with other people, our marriage got put on hold in a lot of ways. We just didn't have the time to spend together that we really needed to. And eventually, living together felt more like living with a roommate you hardly ever see than living with your best friend. This went on for some time, with the space between us growing with each passing week. So when we hit a moment of crisis, we were ill-prepared to handle it. Going back to when we were living in Savannah, um, you know, we had finally, we'd settled in, we'd really developed some deep relationships, and, you know, we're really excited about the potential of living there for a while. And then I lost my job, just out of the blue. What do you remember about that day and, like, how you feel? how you were feeling or what kind of thoughts were going through your head? Um, so my initial first thought was, I really hope this doesn't mean that we have to move. That was my first thought. Um, which I feel like a normal thought would have been like, oh man, what's going to happen with our finances? But for me it was, man, I don't want to move. I hope you don't have to. Um, so that was my, 
that was my initial reaction to you losing your job. Losing my job was just the beginning of this mess. I started applying for jobs around Savannah, but there was really only one other company in town that I could go work for. So to increase my chances of getting something soon, I also started applying for jobs in other states. Andrea wasn't fired up about that. So I started applying for jobs online. And I was really aggressively targeting one company in Savannah, but I was also applying to other companies, not in Savannah, you know, places in Florida, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina. And I remember we had one conversation where, you know, I was letting you know, like, Hey, these are the places I'm applying to. Yeah. And, and you weren't very excited about that. No. Why was that? <laughs> I, I think I remember even before you lost your job, you were trying to get a job at this one place in Savannah. Um, and so I just had really been hoping that that was going to, you were going to keep pursuing that and that that was going to work out so that we could stay in Savannah. And then you told me you were sending in applications to all these different places. Um, and yeah, I wasn't happy about that because of that initial reaction of not wanting to move. I liked being in Savannah. I had finally was feeling like it was home. Yeah, so I didn't like the idea of moving to Texas or to Florida or anywhere, really. So um, I remember just not not really wanting to have that conversation anymore after you told me those things. Um, and I just kind of put up, put up this wall of, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to think about having to possibly move somewhere. One thing that became really clear in that conversation, we were in two completely different places when it came to what we were hoping for. Andrea was dead set on staying in Savannah, no matter what it took, whereas I was much more open to moving to wherever I could find a job. Our parents were helping us pay rent, and we were collecting unemployment from the state, so I felt the pressure to land something pretty quickly. I was praying that God would make it clear what he wanted us to do, no matter what that meant. Andrea was praying that God would keep us in Savannah. Something had to give. We didn't talk about my job search after that day, feeling like there wasn't really anything to talk about until I started interviewing. So when I got an interview for a company outside of Jacksonville, Florida, Andrea wasn't excited about it. Well, I knew that if you interviewed with someone that you would more than likely get the job because you're smart and you're a likable guy and I just, because of what I know about you and just who you are I figured well of course he's gonna get the job because everyone likes Travis you know so I didn't really want you to like take that interview but at the same time like I knew that you needed to and that you know you needed to get a job and this was the first opportunity you had had to potentially get one when I came back from the interview I felt pretty confident that this was going to be the one. I had asked God to open the only door 
he wanted us to walk through. And this was the only interview I had done out of 70 plus job applications. But sadly enough, I came in second place. The hiring manager said he thought he'd have some more positions open up in five to six months and that he'd reach out to me if I didn't have anything by then. So Andrea and I were just starting to move on from the idea of moving to Jacksonville when everything changed. So yeah, so I went down and I interviewed and then I didn't get the job. And then two days later, it's like, oh, but we're going to make a new job just for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it'll take a couple weeks, but, you know, it's basically yours. Two days after being told I wasn't selected for the job I applied for, the manager called me back to tell me they found some more money and wanted to open up a new role just so I could work for them. Talk about whiplash. Here's Andrea. Well, initially it was kind of a roller coaster of emotions for me because first they told you you didn't get the job, and so I was like, okay, cool, we're not moving to Jacksonville. Um, but then two days later they came back and said, hey, we're going to make this position just for you. So in my mind it was like a for sure thing, even though it was going to take a little while for them to actually make the position and offer it to you. Um, so it was just this up and down feeling of what's going to happen. Um, but once I, once I knew that, um, once I knew that they were making this position for you and that, that meant we were probably going to be moving, Leading up to that point, I was starting to to just have a more open mind about about moving, and um, so I was kind of already wrapping my mind around the idea of of moving, even though I didn't want to. Um, I was trying to surrender that to God and what He wanted what He wanted for us. While Andrea was starting to get on board with the idea of moving. It was still a couple weeks before I was officially offered the job. Now, if you're wondering where this story takes a turn towards catastrophe, this is the moment. You see, several weeks after hearing about this special position and applying for it, I got a call from the Human Resources Department with the official offer. And without thinking twice, I accepted it. Right there over the phone. Without telling Andrea. Needless to say, she wasn't happy when she got home from work that day. So, you walk, you get home. I've been sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day, right? And... Top Gear. Yeah, probably Top Gear. <laughs> and, and the first thing that I say is, Hey, so I accepted the job. To which you replied. Uh, you didn't want to talk to me about that first? (laughs) Not one of my proudest moments. You see, this is where not being on the same page, not being in a great place in our marriage, and me having tunnel vision all wrap up to form one giant pile of Travis is an idiot. Yeah, so how did you feel about that? That I went through and said like committed to moving to a whole other city that neither of us had ever lived in 
mm-hmm. without talking to you about it. How did you, how did that make you feel? Yeah, I just, um, even though I knew that that was going to happen, um, I just felt completely left out of the decision making. Um, and I didn't feel like we were making the decision together. It was just like the decision was made for me and that my opinion didn't really matter. Um, and I just kind of had felt like I was being dragged along and that whatever, yeah, I just felt like unconsidered and not a part of the decision making. After this happened, I had to come face to face with my failings as a person and as a husband. History is littered with the failed marriages of ambitious men who prioritize their dream, their job, their legacy over their spouse. But I did not want to be one of those men, even if that dream was ministry related. It just wasn't worth it. And I had some serious work to do to make sure it wouldn't happen to me. After the fiasco that was accepting the job in Jacksonville, we made some great strides in our marriage. And I thought that the days of deprioritizing Andrea were behind me. But if this latest episode has taught me anything, it's that I still have a long way to go. This will probably always be a trap for me, a stumbling block with the potential to wreck my marriage and my ministry. It just goes to show you that no matter how pure your intentions are, there is a spiritual enemy out there looking to sabotage everything you hope to build. And that no matter how much you mature, you will always have an Achilles heel. Now this podcast was particularly difficult for me to put together. It's not easy exposing some of your biggest flaws to people you don't even know. But I hope that my story can serve as a cautionary tale. The ends justify the means is a catchy statement, but almost never holds true when it comes to the real world. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Hopefully you won't have to do the same. On the next episode of Ministry Startup, I get to experience one of my lifelong spiritual goals, being a keynote speaker at a conference. My name is Travis Albritton, and I am a member of an endangered species. I am a Christian millennial. I believe that the church's best days are yet to come, and I believe that it's ordinary Christians doing extraordinary things that will get us there. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It lets them know that this is a podcast other people should know about and helps it get seen by more people. You can find out more about Ministry Startup by going to my website, ministrystartup.com. The theme song for this podcast was written and performed by Flow Up. You can find out more about his music on his Facebook page, Flow Up 623 other music from this episode was written and performed by Michael Parallax. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, 
and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Ministry Startup. <laughs>